So I knew that God was not treating food as an afterthought, that it was a deliberate system of feeding us. And I suspected that he made food delicious for a reason. And throughout that, I started to realize, oh, wow, God uses food to bring us closer into him. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Kappa. And around here, we know that life is hard and we gotta do everything we can to just make it a little bit more lovely. So it's my mission to bring you great conversations, practical tools and information, and a healthy dose of community to help make those things happen. If you wanna find out more, you can go to our website at cultivatingthelovely.com, visit our amazing membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely, or by connecting with me on Instagram, which is one of my favorite places to interact with all of you. You can find me at Mackenzie Kappa. Thanks so much for joining me today. Ladies, today I have a fun interview with someone that I instantly said yes to without even knowing what the project was, and it's Melissa D. Arabian. Now, you might not be familiar with who she is, but I watched her season of Next Food Network Star, absolutely loved it, fell in love with her and her mission, and getting to read her book and hear what is behind her and all the preparation that she had that really made her the favorite for Food Network Star It was so interesting, and I absolutely love getting that behind-the-scenes look at something, you know. But this book is so much more than that that she has recently written. It's called Tasting Grace, and it's about the holiness of food in our lives. But it's not just some uppity, non-fiction, holiness-in-food kind of book. It's a memoir-esque style book that I have so enjoyed. It has given me so much food for thought. Look how punny I am. But truly, it's made me think about my career in different ways and all sorts of things that I wasn't expecting from this book. And I think you guys are going to get the same kind of feel from this interview. It was so enjoyable to do with her. She is so professional and full of so much wisdom. I absolutely loved getting to talk with her. And man, I was really grateful that she is such a pro. When I choked on my own saliva and started coughing in the middle of the episode, (laughs) yes, that happened. It's probably going to be well cut out hopefully thanks to my podcast manager but she just kept rolling and I was so grateful for it it didn't phase her at all when I just started choking like a crazy person so you guys you're really gonna enjoy this episode I think with Melissa D Arabian and if you want to get even more goodness from Melissa you are gonna want to head over to my Instagram feed today at Mackenzie Kappa because she is my special guest and my stories on there she's gonna be sharing a little way that she is cultivating loveliness right now while she is on the road. So head over to my stories so that you can see those fun clips from her and myself as she is my special guest on Instagram today. And while we're talking about Instagram, I want to make sure that you guys also know that I have been doing a live morning show over there two days a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The Patreon ladies get the morning show five days a week because we are in the private Facebook group on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And it's super fun because we go even deeper 
deeper and even more real with the Patreon ladies, which you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. You only have to be a $3 member to be able to get access to that Facebook group where you can participate in all of those things and get to know the other ladies. It's such an amazing group. We have prayer requests going on. People are always sharing about the ways that they are cultivating loveliness in their life, asking questions of each other, bettering each other's lives. It is a beautiful, amazing group of women. And I really hope that you just at least come over and check out what we're all about and what's going on over there. Plus, you get the podcast a little bit early and ad-free if that is something that you're interested in. All right. Without further ado, though, let's jump into this episode with Melissa D. Arabian. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted. I have my coffee. I'm ready to go. Yay. Yes. I am so excited to have you here today because I was a big fan of your season of Food Network Star. So when I got the email saying, hey, you interested in having Melissa the Arabian on? I was like, I don't even know what she's talking about, but yeah, I do. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the, the quick yes, right? Yes. You didn't even know what I was talking about. But anyway, thank you so much. Yes. And then I, as I've been diving into your book and listening to a lot of it, I've been listening to the audiobook. It's just, it's so good and fresh and I can't wait to be getting into it more. And also your salmon cakes have been a long time staple for my family. So I just wanted to say that. There's, oh, good. I'm yeah. glad you bring omega threes into your life. Yes. Right. But for people who didn't watch your season of Food Network Star, would you just give a quick introduction of who you are? Yeah, well, I, um, so again, Melissa D. Arabian, most people, if they know me, they would know me from my work on Food Network. Uh, 10 years ago, I won a show called The Next Food Network Star, um, which was a reality show where they take a bunch of chefs and every week someone's eliminated and then the winner wins their own um, Food Network show. Um, I was the only non-professional chef, but um, uh, was part of that season and I won. And that led to um, a career of hosting shows on Food Network, starting with $10 dinners. Um, and so I've been in the food space for about 10 years and then um, wrote for a number of years um, the healthy food column for the Associated Press. So people sometimes know me more for my columns than from TV, depending on which one they tend to consume and, um, and cookbooks. So Taste and Grace is my first faith-based uh, book. Um, it is my first nonfiction, non-cookbook. Um, so I'm delighted to talk with you about it. Yeah, it was so refreshing and so interesting to be getting into because it is very memoir-esque in the way that you wrote it, which I absolutely love. But I did want to kind of camp out on that for a second. Like, what made you decide to go this direction and write this book? Well, I've been, you know, I've been in, in the food space, um, you know, in media and food for the past 10 years. And so I think a lot about food, both as a professional, but also as, um, as a woman yeah. and as a mom and as, you know, a human being in this crazy mixed world of, you know, messaging and, and, and this sort of weird foodie space that we're living in, um, where, chefs have become celebrities and yeah. cookbooks are, are really things that people are actually just reading for fun and not even cooking <laughs> from. Um, so it's kind of in this weird space, this space of we're obsessed 
with food as a society. And we, you know, we are so obsessed that we're taking pictures and, and putting them on Instagram and like, you know, dolling them up and, and putting on filters and creating this sort of parallel world where food is gorgeous all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, we are also the the Western society that is the most, uh, the furthest uh, away from the roots of our food. There yeah. are the fewest of us who are actually growing our food, touching our food. Um, you know, there, there are fewer farmers now and, and technology is fantastic. And so I'm not suggesting that we all need to go back and be farmers, but we are living in this dichotomy of obsession, but also ignorance mm-hmm. um, and disconnection. I'll even, I'll, I'll, broaden it and say disconnection. Yeah. And so I'm living in this space as someone who works in food, but also someone who, you know, makes dinner for my family every single night and consumes food and, and, and how I feel about food and, and body image as a woman and, and how I feel about, um, you know, food and, and the work that it takes to get it on the table. Um, I, I couldn't quite reconcile all of these um, flying messages. And I thought a few years ago, I thought, you know, when I'm confused about what to do, uh, for me, I turn to God and mm-hmm. say, but what would you have me do? What do you think of this? What is your take on this? And that's where the journey really began was sort of saying, huh, what should I do? How should I feel about this? I'm in this crazy space where you know, we're not eating tomatoes because there's too much sugar in them, but then we'll turn around and see quote unquote healthy eaters and people at the gym drinking bright blue sports drinks with all sorts of artificial colors and and flavors and sweeteners all in the name of health. And we've turned this notion of health. um, We've used the the proxy that we've chosen as a society to use is being thin that, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, well, as long as you're thin then you must be healthy. So as if your blue drink, makes you not consume calories, then you must be healthy. And that felt like a disconnect for me as well. I thought, I don't know, what does God have to say about a blue drink um, versus a tomato? And, and, and that's, that's where I decided I needed to find this out for me. Tasting Grace was the book that nobody asked me to write. Nobody said, go and start evaluating this and, and praying about it and thinking about it. And I, prayed and thought and, and read about it every day in the morning at 5.30 for a couple of years. Wow. Um, but again, not because someone's saying, we need you to turn in a book. So, um, so that's what led me to writing Tasting Grace. And I knew that God had a lot to say about food because food is in the Bible in a lot of places. So I knew that God was you know, not treating food as an afterthought that it was a deliberate, um, deliberate system of feeding us. And I suspected that he made food delicious for a reason. And so I, I started off on that journey. And throughout that, I started to realize, oh, wow, God uses food to bring us closer into him. And he has used food to bring me closer to him in so many ways and in, in so many times. And, and that's when I started to um, realize, oh, you know, when this happened to me, when I was a child in the, in the lunchroom in the school cafeteria, mm-hmm. and I discovered I was poor, God was actually using food to draw me into him. Yeah. And, um, and when I lost my mom to suicide and, and was in that spiritual winter and connected 
with these amazing women through food, God was using food to draw me out of that spiritual winter and, and to share the pain of that loss. Um, so um, I, when, I, when I was reading in the Bible and reflecting on my own experiences with food, um, and even the big question, which is why would God have a stay-at-home mom from a, a small town in Texas, or I was living in a small town in Texas, yeah. win Next Food Network star, like, how was, how was God using food in my life then? Yeah. So, um, so that's how I um, kind of came up with this, this idea that God is using food to invite us in. And there are all these invitations that um, sometimes we're too quick to miss. And they are not um, specific to me in my life. It's, you know, you don't have to be a Food Network star, or go on a reality TV show to, um, to have food um, draw us closer into to our God. He's doing it in every meal, in every bite, and in so many ways. And that's the joy of, of tasting grace is mm-hmm. we can let go of a lot of this guilt culture and language and performance language of our society and lean into the wonderful invitations that God is issuing to us through food. Well, I love how just right from the very beginning of the book, you remind us of just how integral food is in the Bible. I mean, it talks about, you know, even the verses I keep thinking about, like meeting a person's physical needs before you, like if, if someone needs a coat, give them a coat. If someone's hungry, give them food, you know, like it, God makes that clear. Like you have to provide for someone's actual physical needs before you can really speak to their hearts. And you, you talk about that in that chapter about being in the lunchroom and being hungry and how you were always able to be a better student when you weren't hungry. Like these are just, we can't get away from food. It's such a, a part of who we are because we literally need it (laughs) to survive. And so seeing how that can be made into a spiritual thing because God created us that way is so good to come back to and how Jesus used that all throughout his ministry, making sure that people were fed, feeding the 5,000 to make sure that they were taken care of. We can't ignore that from the Bible. It's a huge part when you start actually paying attention to it. Yeah. And and you really hint at um, this idea, which is really kind of exciting is that uh, food unifies us and brings us together, but it also equalizes us. Yeah. We take away food. um, You know, you could have a room full of people from all different backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and, and ethnic backgrounds and whatever our belief systems are. If you put us all in a room and you took away food from us, we would see very quickly how much alike we are. Yeah, um, food equalizes us in a very deep way, mm-hmm. and um, and then to kind of take it one step further, food throughout uh, throughout the Bible, and and I think also throughout Tasting Grace, I'm hoping that I'm doing a good job at hinting at this. Food is really a glimpse into the bigger uh, relationship and invitation that God issues. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, um, so while food unifies us and equalizes us, um, so also does Jesus. So, uh, which is not a coincidence that he is the bread of life. 
right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so food, food does so much. It's really a, um, um, like so much of what is here on earth that God provides for us. It's really a tiny glimpse mm-hmm. into the greater feast, the greater, um, the greater kingdom of God um, yeah. later on. So, um, but that's sort of like on that, that big macro, yeah. um, you know, bigger level, but yes, it, it equalizes us on a micro level on a brass tacks daily level, but also in a bigger, in a bigger sense, it speaks to the, the equalization really of Jesus. Yeah. Ladies, I have one of those jobs that often sparks curiosity in people. More times than not, I get the question, you do what? You're a voiceover artist and podcaster? And I never know where the next sponsor or VO job is going to come from. They have come from the strangest places. And having a totally customized, professional-looking business card has been an easy way to make a first impression and help people understand better what I do. When I hand out my business cards from Vistaprint, I know I'm doing more than passing along my contact info. I'm making a connection. I'm making an impression on potential guests, sponsors, or people who want to hire me for VO work. With the right business card, you make a statement about yourself that gives your connections a reason to choose you and your business over the competition. And I know that a lot of you own your own businesses as well. Your next big opportunity could be coming right now. And Vistaprint is here to help you own the now with free shipping on any business card in any quantity. Choose whatever style, finish, shape, or paper you like and get free shipping. And because you can pick the colors, fonts, designs, and images, it means you can create something as unique and compelling as your business. Ready to get started on your business card? It's easy. Plug your information and logo into hundreds of fresh designs tailored to your type of company or upload your own original layout. Pick the paper stock, style, and quantity that's right for you. You can even upgrade to a unique touch like rounded corners. And then order and receive your cards with free economy shipping. And as if you needed any more reasons to choose Vistaprint, you can also feel good knowing that Vistaprint uses carefully selected inks and responsibly sourced paper stocks. And your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed or your money back. They'll make it right. Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is why my listeners will get free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity. Just go to vistaprint.com and enter promo code LOVELY2 for free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity, limited time offer. Own the now at vistaprint.com, promo code LOVELY2. That is promo code LOVELY followed by the number two. And you support this show when you support our sponsors. So thank you so much. Well, and I love how you even talk about how it drew you closer to God because you entered into this creative experience with him. Like, I love what you were talking about, about being on Food Network Star and when you would connect with the ingredients. And that's when the cameras would go away and the competition would go away. And it was just about like entering into what God had created, like these actual ingredients that he provided and that you could partner with him in creating something, which is something I think God calls us to a lot of times throughout the Bible from the very beginning when he, you know, had Adam name the animals. Like he invites us into that creative experience and how you describe that with food was so powerful. You know, it's funny, like anybody mentions any of the chapters, I'm like, yes, I think that's my favorite chapter. (laughs) That's my favorite chapter. Um, It's sort of, I have a little bit of that experience. Like when I'm thinking about my kids, I'm like, 
you're not supposed to have favorites of kids and I, and I sort of don't, <laughs> except that my, my favorite kid is whichever one I'm thinking about. Yeah. Because I'll like, I'll be thinking about like, oh, and I'll be like, oh, she does this and I love this. And I'm like, oh, maybe she is my favorite. And then I think about another one. I'm like, no, maybe she's my favorite. So anyway, I'm having that experience with these chapters. I'm like, okay, the compassion one, me in the, in the, uh, in the um, lunchroom, that's my favorite. And now yeah. I'm like, no, wait, it's the creation one. Um, yes, because we are created in God's image. And I love this idea, this, um, this image I have of God, like in my own head of like him creating the earth. And I almost picture like a little kid with like Play-Doh, like mm-hmm. putting it together and like, oh, there's the, you know, there's the sky and, you know, there's the water and looking at it and being like, oh yeah, that's good. Oh, good. Okay, wait, now let's do this. And I picture this sort of joy of creation uh, with God. And then I think he then created us in his image. And so in our being is this, um, is this creator and to be in touch with that while I was, um, um, while I was at Free Network Star, it, it, the busyness of being on a TV show sort of forced me either to get sucked up into that vortex and feel bananas and unstable, yeah. which is possible. And, and, and I will say that's sort of my, um, my go-to default position is to get sucked up by the world. Um, right. I have to fight hard to, to stay focused and keep my eyes on, on, you know, on the horizon of God and something that's more steady, or I could keep my eyes on God and stay Mm -hmm. steady. And that's, that's what I did. That's where if, if I could just get to the ingredients, I kept saying, just get to the ingredients. God is in the ingredients. Just get to the ingredients. Yeah. That's it. And, and, and if I lose, then I lose. Yeah. But just get to the ingredients. Just get there and God will meet me there. It's the same thing I tell myself, you know, when I was writing this book is, you know, get up early in the morning because that's when I do my best, uh, my best work really. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel, oh, I don't feel inspired. Oh, it's going to suck or whatever. And I think, you know what, just get to the computer. God will meet me yeah. there. And, and it may not be good and that's okay. Yeah. But I realized that I'm not called to be good. I'm called to be obedient. Mm-hmm. So that's what I had to take into Food Network Star. <laughs> just get to the ingredients. God will be there. That doesn't mean I'm going to win, but God will be in those ingredients. That I know. Yeah. And so if I could just get there, I can continue his, um, his handiwork and continue the creation. Yeah. Well, it's just that responsibility of like showing up. Okay, God's put you here. And so keep showing up. Yeah. 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 Just showing up. Showing up is a lot of life. You know, yeah. it, it really is. Suiting up and showing up and sort of being ready for it. Um, showing up is a lot. And it's yeah. amazing how when you show up for things, um, it's amazing what you end up that that just that momentum of the movement of going show, going to show up. Yeah, it usually will get you into into action as well. So yeah. Oh, I I completely agree with that. I want to backpedal a little bit to the show in the stability thing that you mentioned though too, mm-hmm. because that was an anxiety riddled part of listening to your book for me of like not knowing when you were going to be woken up, not knowing what was going to happen for the day, not knowing how much sleep you were going to get or when you were going to eat or how things were going to happen. Just listening to that schedule. I felt like it was like you were in some sort of torture camp. (laughs) It was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I never thought about how that would be just like not knowing what 
to expect. But I loved how you talked about that you had to find your way to stay stable in the midst of all that, because I would think that could very easily unravel a person. Yeah, it, it could. And I will say this. Um, so just to, so that nobody gets mad at Food Network. First of all, oh, no. um, this was in the early days of, of, of um, reality shows. And that yeah. this kind of um, destabilization was quite common. Yeah, um, no, I agree. So, yeah. And so I knew what I was, I knew what I was getting into. Um, so that said, um, it, it was, it was, it was destabilizing for sure. How you respond to that, how you respond to being really weak in everything is, is sort of the key to it. Um, the good news is that as someone who luckily had faith mm -hmm. in my heart, for me, when I'm weak, I, I know where to turn. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how people dealt with that vortex um, and that craziness if they didn't have a stabilizing God to pray to and to, uh, yeah. and to make the center. I, I really do not know, but I kind of feel that way about life. I don't know what I would do. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I sort of have the perspective of like, well, you know, listen, I believe, and I believe like I believe that the sky is blue and that, you know, that my dog is downstairs. But, you know, the truth is that belief means that there's also some doubt. Like I could be wrong. I could yeah. be wrong about my faith, but here's what I know. I couldn't get through my life here on earth without it. Yeah. So it's not just a long-term, uh, you know, hedging my bets uh, yeah. play that I'm going to decide to believe in God and Jesus. It's also just really what gets me through the day here mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how anybody could do it without having some sort of rock or faith in something bigger than themselves to get through that whirlwind because it was really, really destabilizing. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't imagine because I think all of us, when we sort of think about like reality TV, especially back in that era of it, it's like, oh, it's kind of like going to summer camp. Well, at summer camp, you generally know like what your schedule is going to be every day. And, and there are some expect, you know, things you can expect that are going to be consistent. But obviously that is not what that was back then. But then as I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, in a way you, you're prepping yourself to deal with the unexpected. Like, okay, I know going in that this is going to be this erratic. But I think what if we had that perspective about our daily life, that there are always things that happen to me that I'm not expecting. My daughter gets up at 5 a.m. and gets in my bed because she had a nightmare and, you know, the, this kid gets sick or like they're yeah. not to that same level, but we do have those unstabilizing things in our life. But when you, you aren't in the mindset that like, oh, this is going to happen, it, I think it can be easier. I think a lot of Christians fall into that when you're just in the day-to-day -day that you're not relying as heavily on God because there feels like less of a need for it when really we should be just as much as any other time when we are, are, are expecting something traumatic. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think you're absolutely right. There are definitely, um, there are definitely uh, sort of skills for lack of a better uh, thing or, or habits or um, that we can cultivate during the, the rough times yeah. that would serve us well in daily life. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, and, and I think that sort of um, 
kind of the point, right? I mean, I'm writing yeah, a book yeah. about food and God and invitations and I'm being talking about, you know, one of my chapters is the invitation into patience. And I talk about living in France and how living in France sort of taught me patience mm-hmm. in the food space. You know, the idea isn't necessarily that we're being invited into patience just as it relates to food, waiting for food to grow, waiting for the stew to stew, sitting down at a table and taking a little bit of time out to connect with people and the, and the patience and the waiting and the celebrating the waiting that patience is. Um, those are um, great invitations um, and gifts. They are gifts. It's not a punishment that we need to be patient. It is the gift from God that we yeah. get to practice patience with our food. Um, but the the real gift is when we can then take that patience into our lives, right? Yeah. So it's, it, I'm talking about food, but food is really the, the microcosm for our, our greater life. And then, and then our lives are just glimpses into the greater, greater life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like an onion. We're peeling back the layers here at Tasting Grace. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, I love that. And so you mentioned Paris. I want to, I want to, jump over to that for a second, because it seems like, I mean, we've kind of already mentioned in this episode how, you know, America has this disconnect from food and it's been going on for a while now. And there are so many books about, you know, Parisian life versus American life and, you know, how they savor things and savor experiences where we don't. And like how you describe in the book where the ingredients are more raw and real and you're going to go to the butcher and have a full chicken, you know, hung up there and stuff where we just, we don't have that as much in the U.S. We have this very sanitized experience. Do you think that Paris was a lot, I mean, I know food has been a a through line through your whole story, but do you think Paris was a big catalyst in how you changed your perspective on food and what you were able to bring to Food Network Star and that sort of thing? 100% living in in France um, was one of the most formative experiences of my culinary skill set and point of view, for sure. Um, and I will even go further and say um, that my life in Paris and how Parisians look at food um, had its own set of lessons. And then I will also say that outside of Paris, in non-Paris France, it's a whole set of lessons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's interesting, because Paris, it's a, it's a little bit like equating New York City to what America does. Yeah. Just if you're in America, you're sort of like, well, New York City has its own sort of pulse and set of rules and and lifestyle that doesn't necessarily reflect all of America. That said, what's interesting is in a city like Paris, which is go, go, go. And it's, you know, like a lot of cities, right? There's there's movement and there's activity and there's, um, you know, there's work pressure and all these things. It's not a um, sit down and, and relax kind of vibe in Paris. But even in Paris, they eat differently. You can see the patience of sitting down for a real meal, um, even during the workday. Not every day, um, but during the workday, um, when I first arrived in Paris and was I worked in I worked in strategy and finance for, for a little over a decade before I um, switched careers into food. And, um, and when we arrived in, in Paris, my first day at Euro Disney, 
you know, we were under a major deadline and I assumed we were going to order in lunch and like keep working. And I was floored that the entire finance department that we like closed up our computer desks and went to lunch and sat down, had lunch. I had, you know, fish and vegetables. <laughs> and then what floored me is then afterwards, we were like, okay, let's grab a quick coffee. And we had an espresso and like chatted. And I thought, like, I knew my French was a little bit iffy, but I thought I must have really misunderstood how, how important this deadline yeah. was. I'm like, we would certainly not be sitting down at the cafeteria having coffee and like chatting and whatever. And I will tell you, we took an hour, hour and a half for lunch, went back into our offices and went right back to the frantic, you know, the frantic pace of being under a deadline. Hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to actually take lunch break even yeah. when we're on a deadline. That was foreign to me um, in, in the United States. So even in Paris, which has a pretty go, go, go rhythm, um, it, it took a lot for us to skip our lunch hour. Certainly we would have shorter lunches than others. I'm not suggesting that no matter what's happening, Parisians are sitting down for two hour lunches, not at all. Um, but, um, but it certainly was an interesting lesson for me day one of yeah. my job in France was that we will, we will, we will prioritize um, food time and honoring and taking a little bit of space in our bodies um, a little bit more, uh, a lot more <laughs> heavily than we did in the U.S. Yeah, it's, it's one of those stark cultural differences yes. that you just don't even think about being a thing unless you experience a different culture. I've just been so fascinated for the past few years reading specifically about the way the French handle their time and their food. And um, I have this joke with my kids, like if I'm still single when Eliana graduates from high school, then the girls and I are moving to Paris and I'm gonna put them in culinary school and we're gonna live in Paris for a while. Like it'll be this whole experience. Ladies, 70% of people say they want to use natural products in their homes, but only 2% actually do. That's why Grove Collaborative makes finding healthy, affordable, effective formulas easy and convenient. Now over 500,000 American households, including mine, shop Grove for their healthy home essentials. So what is Grove Collaborative? It's the online marketplace that delivers all natural home beauty and personal care products directly to you. Grove takes the guesswork out of going green. Every Grove product is guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. I am a huge fan of Grove. I have a membership with them. I just placed an order last week and got some brand new things that I'm really excited about. Plus, I restocked the things that I just love from them, like my little dish scrubber. I love their dish gloves. Plus, I got a few personal care products that I hadn't even tried before. I got the Yes to Cucumbers Under Eye De-Puffing Gel. Plus, I decided to try the new High Bar Shampoo that they are carrying, which is actually a solid shampoo that you rub on your head. And I had my doubts, people. But it is amazing. It is like magic. And I love being able to get it from Grove all in one order with the other things that I'm needing to restock in my house. I mean, there is definitely that convenience factor where they deliver all my home essentials and personal care products right to my front door. And I don't have to shop at multiple stores to be able to find everything that I need. Their site is super easy to use. They offer recurring shipments if you want to go that route. And I trust Grove to only recommend the best. 
I love that they always have my back and they'll always have yours too. So join over half a million families who trust Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier. Plus, shipping is fast and free on your first order. For a limited time, when my listeners go to grove.co slash lovely, you will get a free five-piece fall gift set for Mrs. Myers and Grove, free shipping, and a free 60-day VIP trial. For a limited time only, you can choose from best-selling fall scents like apple cider, acorn spice, mum, and pumpkin spice. I am really enjoying the pumpkin spice myself. And you can get this exclusively at Grove. So go to grove.co slash lovely to get this exclusive offer. Grove.co slash lovely. But it is just such a different thing than... um, than we even know to think about in the U.S. Yes, it's it, it. The culture is so different, and I will also just throw out there, just because, um, sort of this caveat, which is, it's their meals are nice, and yes, there are a lot of things that the French are getting right. But I just want to caution us that to to not um, minimize the simplicity of well, we should just take longer lunches. It's like the the lunches are really just the tip of the bigger cultural iceberg, yeah. which. Um, prioritizes family time and and time off a lot differently from what we do. So the flip side to that is that there's a lot of vacation time and things take longer to get done. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's not like we could just say, well, let's start having long lunches in the United States. It's, it's really easy to take something we love about a culture and not realize that it comes with a lot of other stuff too, that we, we just need to be aware that it's, um, when we oversimplify, um, which is why I hesitate to sort of just be like, Hey, the French get it right. It's like, yes, they they do. They get a lot right, but we get a lot right too. We're just looking at the pieces of their culture that we love. And, and yeah, those long lunches come at a price than Mm -hmm. of other stuff that honestly I don't love as much. So I just, I point that out to just make sure people realize that we're not, we're not just getting it wrong and they're getting it right. Yeah. There are just pieces of each culture that are just wonderful. And perhaps we can um, learn a little bit uh, from each other and, and incorporate in small pieces of it in a way that makes sense. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And it is, yeah, you can't, it's just kind of like with the Bible, you can't just pull out one verse and be able to get the context of everything that it actually means. You know what? That's, you are exactly right. That's a great uh, analogy, one that I will be using going forward. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's exactly right. We can't we can't really proof text um, uh, French culture by saying, "Well, we need to have longer lunches." It's just yeah. it's really not that simple. But yes, I do think that there are some lessons to learn, which um, in this case was celebrating a little bit of patience and having just a little bit more space um, mm-hmm. for some patience. And and um, when we have that space and we have a little, we cultivate our own patience. We, we go from a posture of taking to a posture of receiving. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a more, um, it's, I think it's more in line with how God intended food to be for us. Mm -hmm. I think he intended it to be a gift for us that we receive and that we pause for a moment to receive in gratitude rather than just taking. And so it's, it's, it's really, the good news of the opportunity that we can um, we can be receiving gifts with joyful hearts rather mm-hmm. than feeling stressed out about the fact that we don't have time for lunch. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and even going back to like the actual ingredients, how 
that is different in France and you, you have more of that yeah. experience with the actual ingredients. And you, you kind of talk about this in your book too, of like of being able to appreciate those things that God created these things for you, where we, we gloss over that a lot here. We don't, we just don't have that same appreciation where you can, you can actually have a spiritual experience with food and a gratefulness and a thankfulness when we just take that pause to be like, oh, look at, look at this bounty that God has created for us. Yeah. And you get in touch with the depth of that gift. I wrote a chapter about gardening and my attempts at gardening. And if you haven't grown anything ever, grow something, just grow something, even if it's herbs, although herbs are really easy to grow and they make you think that everything is easy to grow. <laughs> when you grow something, like, try to grow tomatoes, right? Yeah. You will realize what a small miracle, even the yeah. most lackluster tomato is. And when you do that, then you go to, you know, random place, or even you go to your grocery store and you look at all those tomatoes and you're like, holy cow, like this yeah. is like, I'm looking at, you know, 400 miracles here. Yeah. Like, this is extraordinary. If you just grow a tomato, just try growing a tomato and now multiply that miracle times all those food products you see and ingredients. And I'm telling you, like every bite of food that you take, if you stop and think about it for a minute, is a miracle. And yeah. it's like, how did you do it? How did you survive and come forward and get transferred <laughs> from a seed into this bulbous sweet fruit? Like you are so beautiful and amazing. And I, just little old me gets to eat you. Like I'm so blessed. Like that's just the tomato, my goodness. Think yeah. about all the ingredients that are on your plate on any given day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's every bite is a chance to be witness to um, God's miraculous fingers touching our food and creating it for us. Yeah, uh, it's, and you have to actually make those those choices to stop and think about that because it's not probably just going to come to you. No, because we're busy. And, yeah. and, and again, that doesn't mean that we have to be perfect and do it all the time. But, you know, even, even 60 seconds can be enough just to sit for one minute, literally one minute, and experience the miracle. Yeah, that's really good. Something I haven't thought about, but I think is so good. Okay, I want to go in a totally different direction. Okay, give it to me. Because there is something really fun that I was reading in your book about how, you know, okay, you were kind of this unassuming person on Food Network Star, where it's like you just kind of, you felt like you got cast into that mom role, which mm -hmm. having seen it, I would agree. But dang, I think that you were probably more prepared than anyone else on that show, largely because of all these other background things that you had done. Like cooking aside, yeah, that's obviously a part of a food competition show. But you had been in corporate America, you had traveled, and personally, I think, because I have background with this too, you had a lot of acting experience and improv. And so do you feel like that was a huge thing that not only helped you with the show, but I've seen how like my acting experience and my improv training and those kinds of things have served me in so many other places yeah. in my life. Did yeah. you see that coming through too? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I love that you called this out because I'm trying to think in 10 years of doing interviews, I have certainly been interviewed in business spaces mm -hmm. um, because of my MBA and, and, and just get called and do that. And so then I have these kind of conversations. I don't know that I have ever had anybody in the non-business um, space ever identify that and call that out. So I just want to say in 10 years of that, um, oh. you are the first person who has, you've been the person to bring it up and not me. Um, and which is that, yes, it's a cooking competition. You got it. You got to know how to cook to be in a cooking competition. Right. Yeah. But you don't win by knowing how to cook. No. Um, you, you, you earn your right to throw your hat in the ring by being a good enough cook. Yeah. But people confuse, that's what's called a threshold competency, which is the minimum threshold to play the game. Mm -hmm. People confuse their threshold competency with um, their competitive advantage. Yeah. And, and the competitive advantage is how you win a game. It's not in the threshold competency. Very rarely um, do you get the job or get the you know, get into the college or whatever, because you are the one who had the highest SAT scores and the highest GPA that they have. Yes, there is one person who has that for sure, but that's only one person. And yet a college takes thousands, right? Yeah. So, um, so it is very rare that you will win a game by, um, by, by the threshold competency and being the very best. So that we can let that go. Now we need to have that threshold competency. You have to know how to cook, how to win Food Network Star, right? In order to sure. win Food Network Star or whatever. But I saw it as a job interview. Mm -hmm. I saw it as, okay, yes, I have to have a minimum level of cooking, of cookery skills, yeah. right? Um, which I did and I had to prove. Um, and I had to really prove because I was the only non-professional uh, there. But mm -hmm. I, th I thought as long as I'm in the top two or three of the cooking world, then I'm fine my cooking skills. Now I'm going to focus on what do I bring to the table that other people don't. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's going to be my competitive advantage uh, to use that, to use that kind of terminology. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, um, I am fine with using my competitive advantage and someone saying, no, thank you. We're not interested. Then okay. I, I don't mind losing. I don't mind losing. If someone says, listen, so my competitive advantage, if you will, to use that lingo, um, in Food Network Star was that I was a mom of four and I know how to get dinner on the table every night to four kids. Um, and I know how to do it on a budget because I grew up, um, you know, on food stamps. So mm -hmm. I, I know how to do that. If Food Network is looking for somebody who can get dinner on the table for their family affordably every single night, then looking at our group of people, there's no question that I am the undisputed champion of that skill set in, in our group. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I played to. So the, the trick, if you want to call it that, the strategy, if you want to call it that, is to take a look around and say, what do I do better than anybody else in this space? And, and where am I the undisputed champion what mm -hmm. what area am i that's the game you want to play so um, and again that's the game i played food network could have said thank you but we're not interested in that that's mm -hmm. actually not the direction we're going we so appreciate you if we ever need a mom who puts dinner on the table affordably then i will be the first person they think about that's yeah. that's how you know you have played your game well 
Yeah. And, and I will tell you that has happened. I lost out on a very big talk show a thing on a major network and it was because they went another direction. And I remember thinking, yeah. I want to see who they ended up casting and did they end up casting another mom who puts dinner on the table um, affordably, what, you know, and they yeah. did, yeah. they really went a whole different direction. And I thought, Oh, okay. That I don't mind losing out to that because yeah. th that means that when they want a mom, they will think of me. Yes. And so that's, so to answer your question or to really, really, really go on too long about your question, <laughs> but, um, but no, I didn't win it by being the best cook. I won it by having these other things. And I think a lot of that came from my MBA training. Um, and I do think that, um, improv training, I trained at the groundlings in mm -hmm. Los Angeles years ago is some of the best training I've ever had. And I would recommend everybody to take um, an improv class at some point in their lives. Um, yes. It was fabulous training for so much. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And I'm sure you've probably experienced this to a large extent too, but I have people who ask me, okay, well, I want to start a podcast. How did you learn how to interview people? And I'm like, well, I don't really know. <laughs> like, I just, I guess I just talk to people, but I think a lot of it is because of the improv training that I have because I've been able to, yeah, I set out my talking points of what I'm going to talk to somebody about, but being able to play off of what other people give you and, and work with that to create something is a skill that I largely think that I learned from improv training. And I can only expect mm -hmm. that being on a, a, a challenge show where they're throwing new things at you all the time and they're interviewing you about it, you have to be able to adapt and play off of what they're giving you. Yes. And, and, um, and you have to yes. And right. Yeah, yes. And, and that's, that's a great skill in life too. Yeah right? To, to be a, a, effectively saying yes. And, you know, it helps you sort of accept and move on, yeah. um, accept the, accept the, the, the truth of the moment and, and move on, you know, and there it's, it's honestly a great skill. And if to anybody who's listening saying, I don't even know what yes and is, yeah. uh, first of all, you could Google it in the word yeah. improv and you'll, you'll, you'll hear what that's about, but go take an improv class, even an intro one. And I know that back in the day, like, Groundlings, uh, which is you know one of the top improv yeah. uh, places um, in the world, um, and oh, as a side note, I got to uh, study with Paul Sills. Yes, in, uh, I heard that. In um, in uh, he lived in Wisconsin, I want to say. So I went to Wisconsin and did. I mean, like, there are some amazing people out there that um, uh, Paul Sills isn't with us anymore. But Groundlings, I know, even has like a total non-professional track that I don't even think you have to audition for that. Like that's available. Um, but you know, wherever you live there, go take an improv class on And it's also just super fun. If yes. you've ever wondered, um, if you think, Oh, I'm not very funny. You will be amazed how, what improv will teach you is yeah. that what is funny is truth of the moment yeah. and not going for the joke. Like at, at yes. Groundlings, it was like, don't go for the joke be the truth in the moment. And that ends up being funny. And you can trust the truth of the moment to be the funny. Uh, anyway, improv is amazing. And I can't, um, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so much fun. And for any like people who are going, Oh, I'm way too self-conscious or I don't want to do that. You have to remember, like, especially if you're going to like an introductory class, I always say like, everybody feels that way. 
about what you're doing. It's like what I told my son when he started middle school this year. It's like, you feel awkward, but everybody feels awkward. <laughs> so be that person who's going to put yourself out there and, and do it anyway. You know, just oh, yeah, do, do it, it anyway. It's really so, do it anyway. Yeah. I, 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 I can't even imagine anybody ever. I, when I worked at Disney and I worked in finance, I would rave about um, improv. And so there are people who are, you know, in finance and strategy, they went and took intro classes and they come back to be like, that was like, that's my favorite day of the week. It's Thursday night yeah. when I go to improv. So everybody can benefit from it. It yeah. really, it's, uh, you learn how to connect with people. Anyway, yeah. I, I can yeah. go on and on. So yes, much. go do yep. improv. Yes. Go do improv, everybody. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think that is a great note to be wrapping things up on because there, there were honestly so many things that I feel like we could have just parked on with your book. But I think that's a fun, uplifting, like practical thing to be telling everybody, go take improv. It will do wonders for so many areas of your life. Yes. Ladies, it is definitely not too early to be thinking about that fall and holiday travel that you might have coming up. And there is no better way to do it than with Away luggage. You guys, Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase crafted with features that make travel more seamless. And now they offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems. So all you have to think about is where you're headed next. Because getting away means getting more out of every trip to come. And Away knows that everyone has a different travel style. That's why they make their carry-on in an array of colors, two sizes, and two materials. A strong yet flexible polycarbonate, that's what I have, and a really beautiful blush, and an anodized aluminum. Some of the best features that I love about their carry-on and their bigger carry-on, which is what I have, is that they're super lightweight. There's a 100-day trial that lets you try an Away product on the road, a limited lifetime warranty, which means they'll fix or replace your bag if it ever gets damaged. Amen to that. A built-in compression pad, you guys. It helps you pack more in. I tend to be a bit of an overpacker, so that's really helpful for me. There's four 360-degree spinner wheels, which guarantee a smooth ride if you are dealing with lots of children and things, then having your bag just work seamlessly and come alongside you I think is really important. And one of my favorite features is it has an optional ejectable battery to keep your phone and other devices charged. You don't have to be looking for one of those outlets in the airport. You've got it right with you. It's super nice. These suitcases are designed to last a lifetime, but if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced ASAP. And they offer free shipping on any away order within the contiguous US, Europe, and Australia. Like I mentioned, I like to pack a lot in my suitcase, but this suitcase is so well designed that not only can I pack more in, but I love that it helps me to keep everything organized so that I have exactly what I need, I know where it's at, especially as a carry-on, I wanna be able to access things quickly, and my away suitcase allows me to do that. So if you wanna try away, you can get $20 off a suitcase by visiting awaytravel.com slash lovely20 and use the promo code lovely20 during checkout. Again, that's $20 off a suitcase. So just go to awaytravel.com slash lovely20 and use the promo code lovely20 at checkout. Okay. So Melissa, what does a typical day look like for you now? Well, I have sort of a few different days that are typical. Um, 
uh, one is I might be testing recipes mm-hmm. or doing, I do a weekly show on Facebook called It's Tuesday Night Somewhere. So it's every Tuesday. Um, and sometimes I do them live, sometimes I record them. So um, so if that's, if that's the case, then I'm in the kitchen and I'm either testing recipes or I'm filming. So mm-hmm. that can be a day. Um, or I might be writing that day, in which case then I'm at my computer and I'm writing. Or I might be traveling and speaking and doing appearances or cooking demos or, um, you know, or something like that. That can be a typical day. Um, and then um, there's also the day where I'm just sort of catching up on emails or whatever and kind of can do other things like, oh, you know, go get my hair done or, you know, whatever, yeah. um, you know, a Bible study day or whatever. Um, different kind of personal days. Um, the days almost always, unless I'm traveling. Uh, start with me getting the kids out the door for school. You know, we're there in the morning uh, for breakfast and such. And then I have one daughter who is homeschooled um, okay. because she's a ballerina. So okay. I have to drive her to her studio um, six days a week in the morning. So I drive up and that's like, depending on traffic, 35, 40 minutes away. So I will drop mm-hmm. her off in the morning. And then at the end of the day at 8 p.m., I go in and pick her up. So every day sort of has that kind of as its um, bookend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I work now, I work um, really from 8 until about 3 when my kids get home because then I really transition into being with them and then doing, um, doing mom stuff and like dinner and driving to every activity in the world like everybody's so full of activities darn these overachieving children I know this generation who's just doing everything but um so I really really try to stay focused and do my work between eight and three Mm -hmm. um and then I kind of try to switch gears and become focused on total mom mode from three o'clock on and then I um and that's that's what that looks like that's my typical day All right. And what is one little way that you are currently cultivating loveliness in your life? Well, one thing that I do to cultivate loveliness is to look at the things that aren't lovely and make them more pleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, And because honestly, I feel like the lovely in a way sort of takes care of itself because I love I love connecting with people, my kids, and and those moments are just special and sweet and, and lovely all on their own. But like things like driving, I try to turn, I try to make something that feels like a chore, turn it into something lovelier mm-hmm. so that at least I don't feel like I'm not, I'm not dreading. Because um, yeah. dread for me ruins the lovely. Yeah. So um, what I've done lately is embrace and lean into the driving because driving my daughter um, twice a day to Poway, which is 35 minutes away and going mm-hmm. there and back twice a day is a lot of time in the car. Um, so I'm really leaning into connecting in the car on the way there with her. Mm-hmm. And on the way back, um, I lean into either um, quiet time for my head and my heart or podcasts. Yeah. So I have turned what used to be a chore and yucky. Um, now that I'm doing it six days a week, I've turned it into something really quite lovely that I actually enjoy. And what that has done to the quality of my life has um, really been um, quite impactful. So turning the yucky into something, I really thought, how can I turn this into something I actually enjoy? Yeah. And and I will tell you, I've done that. And I I don't really like traffic and I've done that. I actually, I actually really like the driving now. 
Yeah. That, I mean, that basically speaks to like the cultivating the lovely motto. It's like, find ways to make these things that are just like mundane or kind of frustrating a little bit better. And I've done that exact same thing heading back into fall. I've got more driving this year than I've ever had before. And I have like my curated podcast list of, okay, these, this is the day I know Mm -hmm. each day they come out on and what I can listen to, to make it better. And one thing that I've done that is just kind of silly, but has also made my car feel a little bit more lovely is I decorated my car for fall. Oh my gosh, you are the cutest thing ever. What a good idea. What did you do? Like, is it leaves on the outside? Like, what 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 are you doing? Does it count if it's just leaves falling from a tree that my car is parked under? Is that decorated for fall? Well, I did inside. And so I have this like foil leaf garland that I wrapped around the seats. And then I have like a little battery operated candle. And so that sits in one of the cup holders. And so if it's at all like kind of dark or gloomy, we can have that on. And then I have a little diffuser in my car that we can put like fall scents in and stuff. And so it's just so simple. It's just like this very little thing. And I've had a couple people ask me like, why, why did you do that? I'm like, why not? Like my kids, when they got in the car and I had done that, were absolutely over the moon. Like, oh my goodness, we have the coolest car. Cause it's is there a picture on your Instagram? There isn't, but there needs to be. I need okay, to because on. I need to see this. Okay. I need, I need to see this and, and, and because I need to do this and I'm not our, I'm not, like that's outside of my skill set. So <laughs> I just need to, I need to see what you've done and I need to emulate that. Cause I'm like, wait, a diffuser, does that clip on the thing? Like the diffuser I have is like a bottle of oil with things sticking out. Oh, it's like, spell. like it's I just, actual, I need to see Yes. This. Okay. I will, maybe I'll do so, a little video and put it right in my feed. Cause it's an yeah. actual like essential oil diffuser that. Yeah. I need, yeah, I yeah. need, I need to be I part do of it. this. Okay. Um, yeah. It's nothing perfect. It's not like, you know, it doesn't look like it came out of Better Homes and Gardens or something, but it was simple, but it was fun enough that my kids are like, oh, it's different. It's for the season. Like it feels like I did something special for them and it just is more fun to be in the car. That's, um, I love this so much. Um, and yeah, of course I, I, it's, you know, it's not, it's not about the performance of it, right? It's yeah. about the connection yeah. and the, and the making it lovely. Oh my gosh. You're so wise. <laughs> I just, you know what I like, I just, I, yeah, I just, I like want to come to your house um, and spend like, like a day there and then come home and like take your ideas and, and like, make my life more lovely. Oh, that's so oh smart. Goodness. I well, love you're it. Welcome. Anytime. <laughs> anytime you're in Spokane, I'm sure that'll happen. Perfect. Great. You know what? We go to Seattle. I can make it work. Totally. Okay. Are you ready for my stock questions? Uh Okay. Candles or essential oil diffuser? Gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, Candles. Okay. Cloth napkins or paper? Cloth. All right. City or country? City. All right. Paper or digital? Paper. Okay. Shopping. Would you rather do it online or in the store? In the store. It's four o'clock or whatever time you're making dinner and you need a mental break. Do you listen to a podcast or music? Oh, music, but P.S. <laughs> As if I'm thinking about dinner at four o'clock. Yeah. I'm more like a, oh shoot, it's six. The kids have <laughs> soccer at 6.45. What am I going to do? So anyway, but I love, I love, I love your optimism at four o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> But it's music. I, I listen to I listen to praise music when I uh, at dinner, and that's another thing that I do to cultivate loveliness. Yeah. Is that 
I, I, my weakest time is like from four to six. Yes. Energy low. Yeah. So I, I have to put that in there to, to cultivate a little loveliness or else I'm crabby. Yeah. And okay. As long as we're talking about this. So you did mention podcasts when you're driving, what are some of your favorites when you're driving? I love, um, I love Jen Hatmaker. Okay. Um, I love her podcasts are like themed. And um, so I like, like her series. Mm-hmm. I love her podcast. Um, I love um, Lewis Howes. Okay. Um, and kind of a little bit more like, you know, self-success and kind of it's a little bit more that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Jenna Kutcher. That's a little oh, bit more yes. businessy. Yeah. I love Rachel Hollis. Um, a little bit more businessy. Um, I, you know what? I, I like Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. um, his podcast, but they're long. Yeah. Sometimes they're a little too, like it's a little too in the weeds. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I gotta say, I, I do like them. Um, but I, if it's a topic I really, or a guest I really enjoy, I have to a little bit sift through is my point. My yeah. point doesn't just take any Tim Ferriss podcast and, and I recommend that blanket. Um, okay. But I really do like it. And sometimes you need a two hour podcast. Yeah. But I take like two hours. <laughs> like, yeah. whoa, what did those guests sign up for? But I, lo- I love Tim Ferriss. I think he's, there's a lot to learn from him and he's really smart. Yeah. I have a couple of those too, where it's like, okay, I've really got to choose which one of these I listen to. Like, who do I, who am I really invested in listening to a two hour podcast of? Okay. Chocolate, milk or dark? Dark. All right. Sports or no sports? Oh, that's, I I don't know if we mean like spectator sports, like on TV, we never watch a a TV. Like there's, there's, we don't watch any sports. My kids play sports. Okay. But, um, but you know, my husband's French. Yeah. Um, so we just never, and I'm so like, like literally it'll be like Super Bowl Sunday. We'll be like, where is everybody? Oh, yeah. it's a Super Bowl. Oh, who's oh, playing? Um, last year for the Super Bowl, like not that, this past one, but the year before, we actually booked a weekend in Philadelphia <laughs> while, and it was the Philadelphia Eagles were in the over Super Bowl weekend. And we're like, we're walking, we're like, we get there and we're like, what's going on? And yeah. it was like, it's like the Eagles. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're so clueless. That's so, so anyway, funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Live broadcasting. This is going to be a probably really obvious one, but would you rather broadcast or watch? Wait, live broadcasting of what? Like on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Would you rather do Insta stories or a live Facebook or something or watch somebody else do it? Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm panicking. Um, there are such different experiences. Like yes. I think that the idea that when we're consuming other people's content that they're having even remotely the same experience. Um, it's not, it's, it's just so different looking yes. into a lens. So I would say um, I'd rather watch. Okay. It's, it's more, it's, 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 it's easier. It's, it feels more like a more of a connection to be honest. Yeah. I, right. think I'd, I think I'd rather watch. Interesting. I did not expect that answer. All right. Yeah. I like, cause then, yeah, then, then, then I'm actually, I'm, I'm, that I'm benefiting from it, right? Yeah. I mean, from a purely, you know, selfish point of view, it's 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 more fun to consume TV than it is to make it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, what is your favorite movie? It's not my all-time favorite movie, but one of my favorite movies is The Greatest Showman. I yes. love that movie, and I loved Hidden Figures. Um, I loved it. Oh, I love both both of those movies. 
All right. If you were to put yourself on the crunchiness spectrum where zero is totally not crunchy and 10 is like singing Kumbaya by the fire with your legs unshaven and dreadlocks in your hair, where would you be on the crunchiness spectrum? <laughs> That's a question I've never been asked. I would say six. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Melissa. It was so fun to talk with you and get to dive into your book and your experiences. I can't wait to finish the rest of the book that I haven't been able to listen to yet. It's so good so far, and I just really appreciate your time today. I appreciate your time, and, um, and I so appreciate what you're doing and bringing out you know, this idea of that we can find loveliness in the small things because life, life really is those small things. Yeah. It really is. Those big moments will be lovely on their own. Yeah. It's the small stuff that, we, um, that we, we, can, we can find that beauty. And I just, I love that about what you're doing. Aww. And I just, I love that cute little Eliana <laughs> who looks like my Charlotte was like yes. seven years ago. So, um, so I like, I had this dream of connecting them and like taking a picture of the two of them and doing like yes. side by side photos. So I don't know, we may have to make that happen. Anyway, yes, totally. So cute. Well, I'm up for it. And so would All she. Right. All right. Yay. Oh, Thanks so nice so to much. talk to you. Nice to talk to you too. Bye. Bye. Man, with the two of us going back and forth, I felt like we just packed so much into that episode and truly I could have gone so much farther. I could have just sat that whole episode talking about Paris with her. She's got so many amazing insights and has crammed so much into her life. Truly, I feel like I rarely run across someone like Melissa who has had so many varied experiences and amazing things to be able to talk about. You guys, you're gonna wanna get this book. I am just wrapping up listening to it on Audible and it's so good. I love hearing it in her voice and just all of the things. You can find the links if you go to boldturquoise.com slash 134. You are definitely going to want to head over there, see our show notes. I just recently had a friend who was like, oh my goodness, your show notes are amazing. And it made it so much easier to find the things in your episode that you talked about. You guys, Kiel, my podcast manager, does an amazing job of really curating everything from the episode into an easy to follow format so that you can find any of the links or any of the things that we talk about super easy. So just go to boldturquoise.com slash 134. Also, again, if you want to get into Patreon, that's patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. You only have to be a $3 member to get involved, plus make a big impact on helping this community continue to thrive and grow. And if you want to do one little thing that's not going to cost you a dime to support the show, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It's only going to take you about two minutes. You can write something really simple and give us, you know, just a five-star review. You don't even have to think about that. I'll just tell you what you need to do. Just leave five stars. It's as simple as that. And it's going to make a big impact because that's how iTunes decides who they're going to share the show out to and if they're going to share it at all. So when you do that, it doesn't cost you any money, but it makes a big difference for the podcast. So thank you to all of you who do that who have or are about to. All right, next week on the show, I have Becca Aker from The Wally Show. You guys know I was excited about that. The Wally Show is one of my very favorite podcasts and radio shows. I got to meet Becca two years ago, and we have such a great conversation about prolonged stress, about being a caregiver, about 
Marco Polo, and all kinds of other things I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So be sure to tune in next week. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast if you haven't done that already. And until then, or until I see you on Instagram, you know you want to join me over there at Mackenzie Coppa. Okay, go be bold and gracious. Oh, 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 oh,